0: Welcome to episode eighty-three of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. Eric and Garrett are with me as always, and this is the episode for November of 2018. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey,
1: How's every, it going? Time you, every time you say what episode it is, I can't believe we've made it that far. It's quite <laughs> yes. a lot of episodes, really. Yep.
0: More so than most of. If you go out and look at the podcasts on iTunes. Not many of them make it into sixty, seventy, eighty. They're usually either yeah. they have like three or they get somewhere in the twenties to thirties. And then those that get past it yeah. are hundreds.
2: Rumble strip radio got to ninety nine but couldn't break into triple digits. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Now were you doing that on a regular schedule regularly scheduled basis or just whenever you wanted to?
2: It was I tried to do it weekly. Um and during race season that's obviously easier and then on the off season it was probably a couple times a month. Um there were some gaps in there too, but you know, January, February there's not a ton going on. So especially with racing. Yeah, exactly. So
0: uh Okay, let's start as we always do with workshop updates.
1: Well, I might as well start.
0: Yeah, I might as well just jump there.
1: <laughs> uh which is funny because I feel like prior to this conversation, I haven't really done anything out in my shop. Uh, things have changed. Um, cause I ended up buying, and, and we talked about this on the last episode, but I think it was still kind of slightly up in the air. I ended up buying the Kenny Roberts, um, that other really ratty looking RZ. I bought that one too. And I bought the RD 350. So I bought all the, the three the, motorcycles. The, the, the...
0: Not the real fancy RD, the, the one no, with, no, bespoke no. with the spoke wheels. The one cast, with the RD 400 cast, right. wheels. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I bought that. Um, bought the Candy Roberts. The Candy Roberts, I knew I was going to buy that one. Um, so that one was kind of already, um, set in stone. But the other two, I was really on the fence about because they're just big projects. Well, actually, the, the RD 350, the air cooled one, I don't intend to, um, actually, you, use anything except for the engine out of it. Um, yeah, that's going to go left. in your,
0: like, Supermoto kind of frame.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, that frame was actually kind of set up to be a tracker. Um, but I am I'm not going to do it as a tracker. I'm going to put clip-on handlebars on it and rear sets. And,
0: uh, so is going to yeah, get lower gonna... suspension than it had when you showed us oh, the picture yeah. a long time ago? Yeah,
1: yeah, because uh, the picture that I showed a long time ago... Um, the suspension was intended to be lowered, you know, actually like taken to a suspension shop and have springs uh, made and, and the stanchions shortened and all that. But I'm going to uh, probably put like a Ninja 300 front end on it with a single disc. Um, and then but I'm actually I'm going to keep the spoked wheels, uh, but just You're to get like a
0: modern 17 inch Ninja 300. With the, yeah. With the 17 inch, not the older one. Yeah. Right. Well,
1: I'll, all I'm using is the forks. I'm going to use the spoked wheels that I have oh, okay. already. They're, they're 17 inch, um, 17 by five rear wheel. Mm. So it's actually got a pretty large rear tire. I mean, it's like a 160, which is like a, you know, 600cc sport bike size rear tire. And then um, I think the front wheel is a three and a half.
0: So pretty good sized tire on it. So what kind of frame is this? Is this a custom? This is a, this is not a, it is not a production an, frame, right? It is. It's an RD
1: three hundred and fifty frame. Oh, okay. His, but really the, the engine cradle is about the only thing that is original. Okay. Um. Somebody, and I don't know who. Somebody very very skilled, and I should take some actual close up pictures of it. It is remarkable the craftsmanship in this frame. Um. Somebody cut all of the original tabs and brackets and everything off of it. And handcrafted all new gussets in the frame and TIG welded it all. Um, yeah, that was that was me. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, I believe that. Funny coincidence, in, in, but yeah, that was that was me. In all of the factory welds, he they he TIG. I, I say it could he or she. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. He he or she re TIG welded everything on it, and it is a masterpiece. On. Um, it, it, the frame was just clear coated, uh, to show off really all of the beauty in it. And unfortunately, from sitting, um, it's got some surface rust on it and it really can't, it can't be preserved. So it's just going to have to get blasted and then, um, probably just painted or powder coated. And, and so you'll still be able to see a lot of the really nice, intricate craftsmanship, but, um, yeah, so you
0: should definitely take some pictures before that happens. Let yeah, me...
1: it, it is just remarkable. Whoever did it was. Do,
0: do you know when it was
1: modified? I don't. I don't. But you've had it for a while. Long time, yeah, years, yeah. And so you know, what's funny is like the the gas tank. It has like a YZ two fifty aluminum um, gas tank on it, and I don't know that the gas tank must have had some damage to it because underneath the person cut out the bottom of it, like where the wishbone frame would go through, cut all that out to um, fix all the dents or any dents that were in it, and then welded it all back together. So it's just raw aluminum, and it is just glass smooth. Hmm. Like there's not a ripple or dent in it. And then built an aluminum um, tail section to match the gas tank. And one of these days I'll get some close up pictures of it all, cause I'm telling you, it is just remarkable.
0: Is this something you found in this condition? No, you put, you put the suspension yeah. stuff on it. Um, I built a rear swing arm for
1: it, which I'm actually going to toss and build a different one okay. for it. Yeah. But, um, the, I bought the frame as it is, the gas tank and the rear tail section and a seat, and it had a, a RD350 swing arm that was modified because it's a monoshock, um, mm-hmm. you know, with like this cantilevered kind of actuator. Um, and, and so all that was done, but I built a new swing arm for it because the old one wouldn't accommodate the size of the rear tire that I have for it. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna build a new swing arm for it. I think probably out of aluminum. Um, the whole bike with engine and everything is gonna weigh in the neighborhood of 250 pounds. Nice. And so even with uh, just a warmed up, 350 engine, it's going to be really quick, really quick. I mean, it's light. It'll probably have 65 horsepower or so. In a 250 pound bike, that
0: that that's, that's not to sneeze
1: at. <laughs> no, that's a lot. Um But I'll draw your attention to the picture that I posted of the yes. sleeves, and you might notice written on those sleeves is 10 mil. So, those are some sleeves that I've had lying around for quite some time
0: these and are These are for the Kenny Roberts no, no, no.
1: These are going to be for the that ratty looking r z okay um so the Kenny Roberts all right, let me start with the Kenny Roberts. I took the engine out of it i I tested the compression, and it was about a hundred pounds in each cylinder. Now, that's only a little bit low for a power valve. Motor. I mean, it would probably normally be around 115 or 20 or so if it had good bores, but, um, compression was a little bit low. Um, I just ended up taking the engine out, taking it all apart. Now, this, this odometer shows 28,000 miles on it. And so I didn't know what I was going to find inside the engine. And I cannot believe that I found original bores on it. It's never been bored. So it's on its original 65 millimeter bores and the crankshaft is without wear on it at all. I mean, it like all of the bearing tolerances are perfect. Um, it has like the silver plated thrust washers in the crankshaft. Um, and all of that silver plating is still intact. It's not worn off. I mean, the crankshaft is absolutely perfect. It almost makes me feel like this engine like had to have been replaced, I would think. I don't think it's um ever been taken apart cuz it has the original Yamalube um between the case halves and unless it went to a dealer for repair I, I would I've never seen somebody reuse Yamalube it's always just like a silicone um and it has original base gaskets underneath the cylinders um original intake gaskets so the engine has either never been apart um Or it was replaced, which is with 28,000 miles on it is like,
0: like it's unheard of. Yamaha doesn't match their engine numbers to the frame numbers, do they?
2: I was just thinking that same thing.
0: Um, some, yes, and no.
1: It depends actually. Um, I have seen original owner, well documented RZs with mismatched. I mean, like the person. Owned it, brand new, bottled off the showroom floor, and it had mismatched numbers. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them matched. Okay, so um, it could go either way.
0: I know a lot of the the Japanese manufacturers don't necessarily adhere to making them match, so that's why I was yeah. asking.
2: Yeah. So you're just gonna re-ring this thing?
1: No, um, it's getting uh, the cylinder is actually. I just laid out the port work. I'm gonna do a. Like kind of a race port 350 on it. So stock stroke, original crankshaft, but I am going to port the cylinders. Um, I'll optimize the compression, advance the timing a Are little you bit.
0: Bore it out or just leave it the way it is. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. It's going to go to a 64 and a quarter piston. Um, so just like the first oversized with, I'm going to put cast pistons in it because it doesn't need forged pistons. And so yeah. It'll get all the fancy three hundred and fifty modifications, so um, it'll probably have mid seventies, maybe close to eighty horsepower, um, and using original R- the original RZ cylinders. And I'm going to keep the power valve in it. Um, so from my goal is from the outside, I want it to look one hundred percent stock except for the carburetors. Um, so I'm going to put some uh, Kian PWK carburetors. I have a couple sets. Both are bored out to 29 and a half millimeters. Um, so it'll be a bigger carburetor. I'm going to use the factory airbox and use the original head. But what all... kind of pipes did it have on it? It had factory, quote, factory pipes. Right. From from back F- in the day. F- um, yeah. But I have a set of uh, Jolly Moto pipes that I'm going to put on it. Um, and then so I I have a set of Jolly Moto pipes, and I also have a set of pipes, and I forget who makes them, and they came from HVC Cycle. They're under a different brand name, but they look identical. And I haven't looked at them too closely, but I think that they're they're the same pipe, just with two different brand names on them. So uh, so yeah, that's the RZ,
2: and, and, and it's gonna probably weigh what three hundred pounds by the time you're done. Well,
1: it's gonna weigh exactly what an original rz weighs because I'm not going to
2: take well, no. anything off no
0: because of it's not going to have the, the catalyzed well except catalytic yeah, yeah, I say you with
2: I mean the set of set of pipes will probably save yeah. 20 pounds <laughs> yeah that, that's no joke
1: um yeah so it'll be um the weight of an exhaust change different so exactly. I think they're like right around 350
2: Are they that? Back, okay. from
1: the factory something like that so yeah it'll probably be it'll probably be 340 or something so I mean it it's gonna go really Really well. Now, the other RZ, um, that I've decided in between the time we last talked and now I've kind of changed my plans for it a few times. Um, I had that's just a complete. Me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had a complete engine, just a core engine with good cylinders sitting on a shelf. And I've always wanted to put it in something. And so that was the engine that I was going to put in my RD chassis. Uh, was a water-cooled, um, motor. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I got that ratty thing and I figured I'd just put that engine in it. And then, um, on my shelf, I also have a set of cylinders that, um, were set up, uh, they've been re-sleeved for a 68 millimeter piston rather than a 64. So that would make it like a 380cc Mm -hmm. engine. So, uh, with a four-mill stroke crankshaft, um, And so then I was going to use those cylinders and just do a four mil, um, big bore 421 engine, uh, which is, that's a great motor, lots of torque, lots of horsepower. And then I remembered that I had some sleeves for a 10 mil stroke crankshaft. Now I don't have a stroke crankshaft. And so if I was going to do the 421, I would have had to buy a four mil stroke crankshaft. Well, if I want to buy a four mil st- stroke crankshaft, I might as well buy a 10 mil <laughs> stroke <laughs> crankshaft. You see where I'm going with this. So I have like so many sets of core cylinders. I don't know what to do with them all. And I have this set of 10 mil sleeves sitting here. So I'm just going to throw, uh, my core cylinders. And the bore bar, blank out the old sleeves, drop in a set of 10 mil sleeves. It's really not that easy. I actually have to weld five millimeters to the top of the cylinder to <laughs> to make it work, which is no big deal. Done a million times. Um so basically I have to build up the top of the cylinder, five millimeters, drop the sleeves in, do the port work, and then there's some case machining that has to be done to accommodate that extra uh stroke in the crank, but um, yeah, so it's gonna get a 460. CC engine, <laughs> which um I'll probably run it on methanol because why not, and it'll have about 120 horsepower. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and, and it it is, it'll is drain the tank in about light.
2: 90 seconds.
0: Yeah, so um, how reliable is that running extremely, methanol? Extremely, extremely.
1: Yeah, because it runs cold, um, high I, I've had, I've had, well, yeah. So um your exhaust temperatures are about 300 degrees lower on methanol.
2: Well, no, um, I was
0: just thinking about the any... the, the clutch and the transmission. I'm putting that much power on something that was, I mean, you're, you're more than doubling the horsepower yeah. of
1: that. Transmission is perfectly capable of the horsepower. The clutch is not. Um, back in the day, we used to do the eight plate mod, which was um, you have your outer pressure plate, your inner clutch hub, um, and you could machine them to accommodate an extra clutch friction. Um, with that, and then putting heavier springs in it, the clutches the the last and they'll hold that much horsepower, but you end up having clutch drag, which makes it a little bit more difficult to shift, and um a really heavy clutch pull with heavier springs um Now there is a company actually pretty local, but they do RZ stuff all around the world um they make a lockout clutch, which is basically weights that bolts around the pressure plate and so when the engine spins up the weights um, kind of flip out and then
0: it'll po- <laughs> Kind of yeah, sounds yeah. like an old like CT70, CT90 kind of centrifugal um, clutch. Yeah, but- sort of. Um, so just Google direct drive clutch
1: um, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, but, but they're common in the drag racing world and also in RZs that make a lot of horsepower. Um, so what's really neat about them is you can just use stock um clutch springs so you have a really easy clutch pull but when the engine is spinning you know at two or three thousand rpms and the weights engage and it'll clamp the clutch together Mm. and you can tune it right so it's kind of like a recluse clutch if you've ever seen those those are more for motocross but um yeah so it's tunable you can make the clutch hold all the power you want it's pretty neat setup so Um, I'll probably do that because then you can still retain a nice, smooth, shifting transmission. and don't have that clutch drag issue. And this is
0: going to go into the one that was the quote-unquote stunter bike. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so um, I have a good gas tank for it. Um, I'm going to put a RS-125 tail section on it from the old Honda RS. Not the Aprilia RS, but the Honda RS-125. Um, it's just a really nice clean tail section. I'm going to put one of those on it, put my nice gas tank on it, paint it all. Um, and then it's going to get the 10 mil 460 motor with methanol and fuel pumps. Um, a lot of horsepower obviously requires a lot of fuel, and that's especially true of methanol. Um, with a single outlet, um, on the gas tank for the pet cock, you can't gravity feed enough fuel for that much power, so you have to fuel pump it
0: right I know a lot of the like the Harley drag
2: racers they've got yeah. a little fuel pipes they cuz you just yeah. it it's just just for just for people who don't know uh stoiometric on gasoline is about you know theoretically fourteen point seven to one if you want to make good power, it's more like twelve to one on methanol it's six to one mm-hmm. So you're yeah. over twice as much. You're essentially, you're using at least, if not more than, twice as much fuel.
1: So. Yeah. So, and you know what's kind of funny is, um, when when you run nitromethane, for instance, it's like one to one. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's a, insane. A, a, a. Um, but and the reason is is because with with methanol alcohol, it has oxygen in it, right? So like an alcohol group is a OH. So you have that oxygen in there already. So um, you can use a lot more fuel because you 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 have oxygen it's from the atmosphere. It's own, but then, its own yeah, catalyst. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, But, you know, the cool thing, RZs have a huge gas tank. They're like 5.2 gallons or something like that. So even running on methanol, I'll be able to go for a 100-mile ride, which is, you know, for a bike like that, more than I'll ever want to do. Um, and it'll have 120 horsepower. But but what's um, even more important than the horsepower is the amount of torque that you get yeah. with methanol. So you would normally run, like, a gas engine at 10.5 to 1 compression. With methanol, it's, like, 17 yep. to 1, and you just get horrendous amounts of torque with it. So um, with the extra displacement, with methanol fuel... Um, it'll have torque like a two stroke just normally doesn't have. So it'll be a lot of fun and it'll be super light. That one will probably be, um, 300, maybe 290 pounds right in there. And I mean, we're talking about 120 horsepower and sub 300 pounds. That will be a very fast motor. You
0: don't have to go all that far back for that to be like, a three fifty Grand Prix bike. I
2: was gonna yep. say not only not, not just that, that's late eighties five hundred GP territory, because those bikes were in the one forty range and they weighed two seventy five yeah. pounds. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot of horsepower.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And and that
1: that motorcycle has the X six um uh, wheels and uh, suspension on it, so it's got you know pretty wide rear tire, pretty wide front tire, good
2: brakes. Yeah, so, you can you can literally throw like a F- FZR four hundred swing arm on that thing, and yeah, know,
1: well, it's got a ZX six swing arm. Oh, um, ZX six. Okay, it, yeah, it. and surprisingly, it bolts on the same as FZR, um, like bolts right in place. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah.
0: So that's where <laughs> that's where i'm at do do you uh do either of you guys read uh motorcycle classics magazine mm, um, no this month they had a uh feature mm. on an uh, a a really nicely preserved uh r d four hundred yeah that's pretty much all stock and yeah i'm old enough that that's a a bike that i remember. I didn't start riding until 1980, but that was still something you saw on the street a lot. And I really like that. And it's, it's got me thinking about RDs. And now we're talking yeah. about your, your air cooled 350. And mm-hmm. so that's yeah, yeah, that's I, I
1: really, you know, when I was, I, I am young, but when I was younger, I loved modified motorcycles more than anything and original stuff. I just like didn't really have any interest in. And now I'm finding that I don't really have much interest. And, like, the really modified stuff. And I'm, like, going more towards originality. So, this Kenny Roberts, that's one of the reasons why I want to keep it, like, all original on the outside is because, like, I mean, I wasn't... That motorcycle came out before I was born by a year or two. Um, And, but, like, I love the idea of, like, going into the dealership and buying that motorcycle new. And I just think it would have been so cool. And so, I just want to keep that bike just... Exactly the way that it was
0: from new. I I, uh, I can remember the Yamaha dealer in town when I I started riding the summer of 1980, and they still had a leftover 79 uh, RD400F Daytona Special yeah. on the showroom, and they couldn't sell it, so they were they they had not <laughs> like like 500 bucks off the the retail price, and they're like, yeah, yeah. N- no. N- no freight, no nothing, just please buy this. And yeah. I, I, I bought a Triumph Bonneville instead, but. I, <laughs> yeah. That is, I did eventually years later buy a really, really ratty RD400F. I, I traded my, uh, I had three Gelera single cylinder bikes, only one of which ran one that could have been brought back and one that was clearly just for parts. Yeah. Like, like they had left the head off outside and the cylinder oh, and yeah. piston were just rusted solid. Yep. And I traded all three of those plus, I think, 400 bucks for the, uh, Daytona special. Mm-hmm. But it had like rusty dented chambers. On. It ran and it really, I think ran pretty well, but yeah. it, cosmetically it was just awful and it, it the bars were just a l- little bit bent on it and mm-hmm. i was always going to do something with it and i ended up just selling it to a guy it was it was the first internet sale i ever did where i literally boxed it up and shipped it to somebody oh and, yeah and then he called me up and he was like well this this isn't as this is a lot rougher than I thought it was. I'm like, I sent you video. I sent you photos. You know, like like yeah. literally like snapshots in the mail. It's like I did everything I could do to let you know what the condition of this was. So I even said it's really rough. It's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I I guess so. So
1: Yeah. You know, I'm kinda surprised that currently um RD three fifty and four hundred values don't really seem to be gaining like the water cooled motorcycles no, definitely are. Not. Um, like there's a actually a really nice, completely original single owner RD 350 for sale, um, locally. They want $3,250 for it. Um, and I mean, it's like a really nice bike, but which really isn't that much money for what it is. The RZs though, um, their values just seem to be skyrocketing. Um, uh, I just recently saw, I think it sold on eBay um, a couple weeks ago, an RZ that was really wasn't like super nice. It was all original, um, but it was a rider. It wasn't like a cream puff by any means. And I think it sold for like $6,900. Wow.
0: <sighs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it, and and the, the Kawasaki triples goes for so much yeah. more than the RDs, right. too. I think there's yep. fewer of them, and right. I think a lot of more of them got wrecked and blown up. Yeah, yep. Uh,
2: Eric, what have you been up to? Um, about everything but going in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the end of September, beginning of October, up until really just a couple weeks ago, it seemed like I was going somewhere, had something going on, which there's a story in there. Um, to the point where like it was two weeks ago, not this weekend, but the past weekend as we record this, so I'm like. I don't have anything scheduled for this weekend. What am I, what do I do? Of course, that's like, well, go out in the garage and work on your motorcycle. Except for the fact that since early October, it's been cold and raining. (laughs) And, um, I have, between frostbite and arthritis in my hands, it gets this type. I hate this type at this time of year because it seems like something always hurts in my hands or it aches or something. Or if it doesn't, I go outside and then I literally can't feel my hands in about half an hour because they're cold. Um So yeah, so it's sat out there. And then the other day I realized, Hey, you know, when you uh took the side cover off to check something in the timing and you drain the oil, like, yeah, like, did you ever put oil back in that? Like, no, I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, so it's been sitting for a while with no oil in the motor. Maybe I should go put some in as it gets cold and we're getting all this condensation. Just so it doesn't end up as a rusted up, locked up thing by the time I get around to it. So, um, so yeah. But um, but I did have an adventure, which was um, I got a call from a from a gentleman I've been announcing with for I don't know, almost 15 years now up in Canada and uh he's having some health issues and said hey can you cover the October motorcycle race at Daytona for me Ooh. and um so took a took a few emails and some phone calls but uh I went down in mid October. I guess it was mid october um and announced the CCS Azra final at uh, Daytona for that weekend and uh I was up in the tower and then another gentleman by the name of Richard Chambers is sort of like well known announcer in motorcycle racing. Um he was all I was working with him and I just gotta say, it was it was a pretty incredible experience. I mean, yes, it's sort of the you know, single A, double A ball playing at a major league ballpark, but uh still it was cool it's, as hell it's to still be. Still Daytona. Yeah. I mean. yeah, exactly. Motorcycle racing at Daytona—that's it
0: I mean, it's a step up
2: from Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. No yes, offense is. to any Canadian listeners. No, 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 listeners no. We may have, but so so the main grandstands at Daytona. First off, the 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 facilities at this place are just otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've been to corporate suites at baseball and football stadiums. The corporate suites at Daytona make those look like nothing. <laughs> like the the Penske suite at Daytona is like 5,000 square feet. (laughs) And I'm not joking when I say that, um, under the main grandstands, there's two levels of parking. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they have, I mean, it just, it's, I took a few, I I took a few photos. Um, I'll share them with Pete so that he can uh, put them in if he wants for the, for the show notes. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the facilities in that place are just jaw dropping. And it had been a number of years since I've been to Daytona. So being in the infield, uh, on Friday when I got there and watching some of the practice and just seeing the bikes up on the banking, when you're like close up to the banking, you realize just how steep 31 degrees is wow. and just how tall that banking is. It loses some of its respect watching on TV, especially if you watch yeah, cars, but a sure. motorcycle on its own on the banking just was incredible. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was fun and things went well. So, fingers crossed, I'll get a chance to go work with them again in the future. But uh, it was it was pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it'd be super fun. How many days were you
2: there? Uh, three three days. I got down there Friday and then announced Saturday and Sunday, and then flew back Monday morning. So yeah, yeah, it was it was good. It was. I, I have a friend down in uh, about an hour south of Daytona, so had a chance to meet up with him hadn't seen him in a while and uh, had dinner with him and his girlfriend so that was a, that's always a good good thing and saw yeah. some other friends that i don't get to see very often you know used to race with or um stuff like that so yeah it was good it was so, uh,
1: do you have to like do research before you go there and like find out about the writers and like so it, you actually like theoretically yes
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, Not when you get called in at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. When you get called (laughs) in at the
2: last minute. I mean, there are some guys that I know who they are, either from social media or from, you know, occasionally looking at road racing world and stuff like that, some of the club race stuff. But, no, I mean, there's a lot of people. I'm just, you know, that's the one thing. Richard Chambers has been down there for well over, probably close to 40 years announcing, and he does a lot of the, the, bigger club race stuff for ccs yeah. and and azra and Wera and stuff like that so he knows all of those people so i viewed myself and, and the role that i had as sort of quarterbacking stuff from up in the tower and right. you know let richard tell the stories yeah um you know and i knew a few of the racers so i could i could throw in a few things here and there and just do they at
1: least give you like a cheat sheet that shows where they are in the point standings yeah, and like,
2: yep, exactly. Know. So we were okay. talking about, cause it's the last race and they're battling for championships. So we had some of that and okay, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, some of these guys are racing and you know, six seven races a day right uh, you're just like wow and then um but they had a mini 200 on saturday it was or just shy of 200 so i think the 200 is 50 if it if were around 58 laps it'd be 200 miles and this race was 55 miles and honestly that was easier 55 to laps, not, yeah sorry 55 laps yeah what did i say 55 miles. miles. I'm, yeah. I'm like 55, 55 miles is less yeah. than 200 by quite a bit. By quite a bit, yes, <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, but calling the 55 lap race was in many ways easier than calling like seven seven lap races in a row. Yeah, right, um, I, I, I have no idea why. Because then, because trying to fo- stuff gets so spread out on that track. You lose if you're not paying like really specific attention, you lose where people are on the track. Yeah. Because you're way up in the tower and bikes are really small and it's a you know, big track, three yeah. three some odd mile track. So three and a half, 3.54, I want to say Yeah. Mile. So So um
1: did they do they run in the infield too, or is it just yes. strictly oval? Okay. Yep,
2: no, no, no. It's it's the it's the roval. It's okay. the classic yeah, Daytona cool. Roval for it's it differs a little bit from what the sports cars run. It's it's what the motorcycles have have kind of been running for, for quite a while now. But
1: yeah. Well um, yeah. I couldn't imagine doing two hundred miles on a motorcycle racing. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Two pit stops. Um yeah, there's two pit stops involved. I can I can barely do a hundred miles down the freeway <laughs> with my <laughs> legs stretched out, let alone
2: on the edge. <laughs> so yeah it was um it was pretty cool. And yeah. you got to see guys, you know, a couple teams are pretty, are essentially like pro level teams. And then most of them are just like general, regular, regular dudes out there, you know, yeah, it's a big, big season ending club race kind of deal. So yeah. pretty, uh, pretty wild. I
0: was speaking of uh, road racing and uh, you brought up road racing world. I just saw on their website today that, uh Arma the uh, American Historic Racing Motorcycle Association I always won't get that wrong uh they are coming out with a new 350 premier gp series for next year which looks like it's truly designed for 60 late 60s era and earlier dedicated grand prix machinery or at least stuff that is specced to that level. Mm-hmm. It'll be Aramakis and, uh, you know, twins. Getsia and Yeah, things that are 350s, but I think they've got some kind of a formula about what's eligible, twins and singles and stuff. So uh, it looks like they're really trying to raise the profile and kind of, as you said about your race, have some guys that, are going to be pretty close to pro. Now, in vintage racing, pro is kind of a nebulous idea, but not quite team obsolete level of stuff, but a a step above just having a club race. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think there's more and more people that are starting to get really serious about the true vintage, not just... Older non-competitive bikes that I'm going to take out and have fun with, but I th- I think the '60s are getting to be long enough ago that if you've got some really high-grade period equipment, you got money. It's yeah. not like you can just find some X Works '60s 350 single, you know, uh, AJS or something like that. I don't follow a lot of racing, but I'm going to try and pay attention to that series next year and and. I, th- I think it's good. I've always enjoyed vintage racing, so.
1: Yeah, do they t- televise that or is that just something that you would follow
0: up on on the internet? I I think that's going to be YouTube channel and and yeah, uh I know they said that they're going to have more video coverage, but I don't think that's TV. That yeah. I think that's yeah. delayed internet you can log in and watch the race.
1: Yeah. yeah. Although, you know, with YouTube, I'm finding it surprising, like how many, like how shows are kind of transitioning to a YouTube format. Like, um, they do a lot of the Red Bull, um, off-road racing events that they'll, uh, put on YouTube live. Um, and then also, like, they did the, What's that thing that they do in England with all the cars and then they do the motorcycle Goodwood. race and the hill climb? Goodwood, yeah. So they had that on Facebook and YouTube Live, yep. um, which was super cool. And so it would be neat if they did something similar with, like, some of these vintage programs or, you know, even other, um you know, races that probably don't need, like, national coverage on television. But, you know, anybody can throw it on YouTube Live.
0: I'll, I'll tell you, that, that's the reason that I follow the uh, Asian Motorcycle mm-hmm. championship is because they do a great job of pushing it out live on uh, yeah. Facebook. And because of the time difference, it's the middle of the night. So a lot of times if I can't sleep and it comes across my phone, I get the little notification, you know, Facebook, Hey, uh, you know, the underbone 150 race number one is live. I yeah. uh, put the headphones on lay in bed and watch it. And it actually works so much better than having it on a TV yeah. because you get it right there on your device. And my wife does not want to sit and watch motorcycle racing on our <laughs> yeah. big screen in, in the, the living room. It's just not going to happen.
1: Yep. Yeah. And speaking of YouTube and changing subject, uh but I'm really disappointed about it. Zach and Ari are leaving the video portion yeah. of – uh
0: You Uh, sent me me the link to their farewell video and I don't watch them all the time. It's usually if it's something, a bike or a subject that I'm actually interested in, I'll see it on, on YouTube or Facebook and I'll, I'll watch it. So I'm, I'm hit and miss on them, but I thought they were both really good. Their, their farewell video was quite odd because it, the motor trend and motorcyclists are both owned by the same company, uh-huh.
2: but they, you know, I, I, th- I thought I thought Motorcyclist. No, Motorcyclist got sold off I when Ten got when when Ten broke up for about the fourth time. I thought they were and both
0: then, owned by bon, bon, are, Bonnier, bon, bon Bonnier Bonnier.
2: So Motorcyclist is Bonnier. Um, Motor Trend is Ten, which is the Enthusiast Network, which is actually owned by Discovery now. Where Bonnier is its own
0: okay. separate. Uh. Well, it seemed really weird to me that if I was an employer and I had two guys that were basically quitting to go to a competitor, that I would let them say, hey, let me tell all of your customers that you I'm going to go. over to this
2: <laughs> other place. And – well. The the thing though is that and and I think why they can get away with that is because going over to the the motor trend channel, you got it's a pay to play kind of thing, right? Or it's a pay to walk. Yeah. So yeah, it's that's it's true. Five but
1: bucks. also as I understand it, they're staying on with motorcyclist for print. Oh, it's really? just the YouTube uh okay. portion that they're moving away from, I think. So I think that they're still going to write for motorcyclist but all of their video content is going to be exclusive to motor trend. So, Mm -hmm. so maybe that's part of it too. The whole Um, thing is just very weird. it is. It is weird, but I know that, um, motor trend has been poaching a lot of people. They're really growing. So like, for instance, they did, uh, you know, roadkill had their YouTube stuff, but now all of it is through motor trend. Right. Um, and so now Ari and Zach are going to be on Motor Trend, and I I I feel like they had a really good quality YouTube thing going. Um, like their MC commutes and their ride right. reviews were some of the only ones that I could watch on the yeah. internet. Um, just because like sometimes those ride reviews are excruciating. Um, but I really liked theirs. Uh. And I don't want to pay for Motor Trend, and I'm probably not going to anytime soon. I so. actually
0: paid for, when it was 10, I paid for Roadkill for yeah. a while, just because it's, it, it, that's really interesting stuff. What yeah. they're doing, the fabrication yeah. of it just is fascinating. But, yeah. uh, I just got to the point where I wasn't watching it. Yeah, you know, was, I don't, that was, yeah, that's
1: yeah. me too. Yeah. Um, I really liked, I feel like, um, Roadkill and, it, and, and some of those other shows, um, when they got commercialized, I think the quality went down somewhat. Um, and I really liked Roadkill when it was on YouTube and it was through Hot Rod. Um, and then that show, along with a lot of the other ones that Motor Trend picked up, it just, I don't know, maybe it, they just got a little stale with their ideas or something, but the show just kind of lost its luster and I just kind of quit watching it. So.
2: My my issue with with road trend or with road trend with roadkill got to be road trend. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, That's road good. trend. <laughs> um, it got to be. It's like, just how crappy can we make this thing, right. or just how piss poor can we put this together and right. and, and and still sort of meet a goal? And, and it's like, all right, I, I get the gimmick, um, and, and I applaud you for doing it, but build something worthwhile occasionally.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, I they it almost seems like there were times that a really good, elegant solution wouldn't have taken any more time or effort, but because their shtick is, yeah, we used an old leaf spring and welded it onto the differential so that, you know, it, yeah. And, and it's like, okay, whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, So, but I will say as far as good YouTube shows go for motorcycling and one, and, uh, uh, a channel that I've gotten really into lately is 44 Teeth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Those, those guys are really funny. It reminds me a lot of early, um, uh, what's that show? The Top Gear, early Top Gear. I mean, there's only two of those guys, but, um, their humor and, and the way they interact is just, it's funny. And they do some really good, um, kind of serious things. Like the one that they're doing right now, they both bought Italian, uh, sport bikes and, uh, or riding them around Europe and to different tracks and whatnot. But uh, their channel is awesome. So I've been getting into that one.
0: It, it, there are... In bar- sorry, go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, there are YouTube videos that I will watch because I want particular bit of information. Mm-hmm. There are very few that I will tune into just because, you know, when, this, when the little YouTube subscription pops up and says hey you've you know so and so is got a new one it it basically is 44 teeth and cage on two wheels are the only two that i will at least i don't always watch them all the way through but i'll Mm -hmm. at least go see what they've got out there yeah Uh, and i think it comes down to personality more than content because there's a lot of people that have good content but they just don't have the personality that i want to spend time with them on a regular basis
2: yeah, good yep. point. Agreed. As someone who's made 300 YouTube videos, I agree, <laughs> which is probably which is probably why my my uh, my subscriber count still is struggling to break 5,000. <laughs> People don't want to spend time with me, so which is fine. Well, uh, well, some of it is you. Most of your
0: reviews are new cars, and yeah. it's really hard to differentiate yourself yep. with a new car review because there are so many of them out there nowadays. And you're basically talking about a commodity that you can't say much new or different about or have a a, a different style. Uh, Doug DeMuro, okay. you know, has like – I don't necessarily find him – I don't know. Sometimes I like his stuff. Sometimes I find him annoying. It, tend, it depends on my mood yeah, and what he's talking about. It's the same about. with his, uh, his companion, the Hoobie,
1: Hoobie's uh, Garage, yeah. that yeah. guy. Um, I, I watch his shows, um, more so than Doug DeMiro's, but, um, I will say, uh, Eric, that some of the videos you've been doing, uh, lately, I really enjoy it. The car review yeah, videos. Yeah. I, I definitely, yeah.
0: I, I have to say I do watch yours, but it's usually, I don't have a subscription because they pop up on Huniverse, and I, yeah. being involved with that, I watch them on Huniverse, so I don't think of them as being YouTube videos, but, uh, yeah. by the way, you should all go watch all of his videos on Huniverse. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, I promised you that I was going to do something in my workshop before this episode, and I did, but it's not Swept a- Swept it? No, it's not necessarily <laughs> working on bikes. One of the big problems with my workshop is we have a raised ranch, so where I work on my bikes is directly beneath our kitchen and bedroom. So anything that you do that is, uh, has smell, vapors, fumes, having them go right up through the floor into the upstairs is not necessarily something that my wife cherishes. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I am in the process of putting in, taking out one of our basement windows that's right over my workbench and putting in an exhaust fan that's got a nice little it's in a wooden frame, and it kind of has a sliding wooden shutter so that I can keep the bugs out when it's not turning and not let it rust. So I, I'm in the process of building a ventilation system for my workshop. And something that I started before I started my little literary product project eight months ago was some uh, lamps using motorcycle engine covers as parts of lamps. Mm-hmm. So I'm just now finishing I off eBay, bought a used old FZ750 uh, valve cover. And working for a company that makes automotive LED lighting equipment, I have access to all kinds of cool little lighting components. So this is going to be like a bar light or a pool table light. Yeah. That uses the valve cover with LED lights underneath it and suspended from the ceiling. There you go. So that it's, uh, it'll actually have a couple of little, uh, LED dot lights pointing up through the screw holes mm-hmm. in, in the center. And then on the outside, the screw holes will have, uh, it'll hang from the ceiling by some of those real heavy gauge automotive wires that will also be 12 volt. It'll have a 12-volt wall wart somewhere to plug in and a little switch on it. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in the process of doing that. I'm probably going to finish that up and put that out on Etsy before I do anything else. And I've got a couple of other uh, – I've got a little table lamp that is going to be made out of a BSA 650 valve cover. And I really want to do a couple of wall sconces with some old Airhead BMW valve covers. Yeah. Space them out mm-hmm. from the wall and have an LED light that's kind of indirect lighting on the wall behind them, and have two of them, a right and a left. So you can put that on like either side of a TV or something like that in a home theater. There you go. So I don't know. I'm going to play with that, see if I can make that work. I do have the valve cover, walnut, shell blasted, and it's just spray can metallic gold, but it's real close to the original gold that they had. The one I bought was black, but they used to have, the very first ones had gold, valve covers so i got i got a nice matte gold finish that i've i primed it and and did about four or five really light coats so it looks really and and it came out really nice so i'm i'm kind of excited about that so when i get that done i'll i'll show you guys and put something out on our post cool and uh did do a little riding uh had i been on my trip Last time we talked, I was going to go on a on a trip uh, to the no. state parks. Well, it, it was a torrential downpour all weekend, and it was really an excuse for my wife to get away. And the night before, she looked at me. We were going to start, you know, packing up our saddlebags and stuff. She goes, "You want to take the van?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame her. And, at all. and I was like, I was like, yeah, because it it was a good. Six hours of riding every day for three days. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, the, the problem is not the riding. It's when you go in to have lunch. Yeah. And you're dripping wet and you got to peel all that stuff off just to sit in a diner and have, and it's like, you know. Yeah.
1: It's that. And then the motivation to put all that stuff back on and get back on the bike.
0: Well, and then you have to very carefully store it somewhere. So the inside doesn't get wet. So you still yeah. have dry surfaces on the inside when you put it back on. Right. And we were. Actually, it was a wonderful trip. We had a great time and went to, uh, for those of you who don't know Missouri, uh, this won't mean a lot, but we went over to kind of eastern central Missouri, Tomsock Mountain, the, the highest point in Missouri, which it's 2000 feet. It's not really all, that, but it's a, they have a nice little observation platform that's really gorgeous. You can see for miles and uh went to Elephant Rock State Park, which is very interesting. They have kind of this stone, bald knob on top of a hill, and there are these rocks, naturally occurring rounded rocks, laying on top of it, and they're the size of a semi-trailer. You know, they're yeah. huge, but they're not, like, fragmented. It doesn't look like a quarry or anything. It's these big, round weathered rocks sitting on top of a mountain. It's quite unusual. So we did that yeah. and, and uh went to a couple of the little state parks and uh had a really great time. And The nice thing is it rained up until we got out at the first state park. We spent the day going around and it was dry all day and we were on our way back to our hotel when the rain started in again and it rained all the way there and all the way back the day before and yeah. the day after. So yeah. it was actually really fun. To make up for that, we did do a really long ride the week after that, that we just woke up early Saturday morning and said, we don't know where we're going, we're just going to take off. Yeah. And I live in southeast part of the Kansas City area, and I can go about 10 miles and be out on rural two-lane roads through farm country with really no traffic. Like, someone will come the other way every 10 to 15 minutes. And we spent... Uh, eight and a half hours out just on these roads that were just out in the middle and we're on our spiders and smooth roads, no potholes, no traffic. And we just explored all these little County roads and state roads. And we were probably never more than 50 miles from our house as the crow flies. Uh So I'm, I'm very fortunate that we can just get up and, and go play and not have to worry about traffic and not have to worry about congestion and not have to worry about, you know, somebody blowing through an intersection in the city. So it was, uh, and, and the weather was perfect. It was, it was like 55 degrees in bright sunshine. No clouds. Yeah. So it was perfect. just, just right for wearing a sweatshirt underneath your riding jacket was all we needed. Uh, I did have heavy gloves on and it was just perfect. So yeah, cool. I think that's about it. We're at a little under an hour. Anything else that you guys want to mention before we sign off? Anything got planned in the next 30 days? Well, the RZ will be back on the road, I'm sure. See, that's the difference between you and me. It's taken me over seven years to creatively place parts in close proximity with an idea <laughs> of how they'll go together. And you're like, yeah, in another month, my... Complete rebuild will be done. So, yeah. Well, I mean, normally I could do a
1: full engine um, rebuild with port work and head machining and all of it. I could do it all in a day and a half, two days. If if that's if I had nothing else to do, I could do it all on a weekend. Uh, but you're a but, father and you're school. in school and you're a <laughs> yeah, homeowner and all that so other stuff. So. That's why this is probably going to be a three or four week job. But um, it'll be back together.
0: Oh, did I mention to you guys on the podcast about the Ke one hundred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My niece's Ke one hundred is also in my garage, lined up for some attention. So, Mm -hmm. but that was a rebuild that I did in. I think I I think I did in a couple weeks of spare time. So, although that's the most dirt simple engine in the world.
1: Well, and I mean these RZ motors I've done. Many, I <laughs> have many, many, many. So,
0: and you have all the parts and equipment and tools and everything you need right there, yeah. ready to go. Yeah, and, and makes it makes it easy.
2: Are Are you going to drive to the other side of Missouri for a two thousand dollar motorcycle? Oh. I was gonna. That's
1: tempting. The, that's so tempting because those, you could wake up at four a.m., get there when they open, be back at dinner time.
0: For those of you who don't know, there's there's. Uh, <laughs> Last time I talked about the desire to pick up a 250, and there is a Suzuki GW 250 that normally the the original retail MSRP on it was 40.99, and there's a dealer that has it for 1944 or something like that. It's a long way. It's over in Illinois. It's halfway across Illinois, so it, it's it's about five hours, five and a half hours drive from my house. I've resisted the temptation to call because I'm sure they're going to say, well, there's a $350 freight fee that we're going to charge it and $199 documentation fee Uh and $99 setup fee. And if this is truly like most dealers do it, they they throw out a loss leader price there and then they're going to build in bogus fees. That's not what the -the out-the-door price is. Yeah, How close that is to the -the out-the-door price, I don't want to know because (laughs) really the Big thing is two spiders that we don't ride enough, two motorcycles and one kind of conceptual collection of parts in the garage saying, yeah, I want to go buy a 250 is just, well, see, I, I'm not sure not if I, w- I want to see her eyes roll back in her head that well, far. So,
2: you know, that's that dangerous. Right, no, the way, the way you sell this, Pete, is that is is this like a, all you got to do is put gas in it and it'll ride, so it's not it it's together and it runs. And then two, you really want it for one ride, and it's at such a deal. That once you do the, uh smack dab next year in it, you can sell it again. And you should be able to break about even on it if you can get it for that price. Just, yeah.
1: Tell her that you're buying it for her in case she wants to do two wheels occasionally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, she
0: just recently said we were discussing her arthritic knees. And she goes, you know, I, th- I think I'm done on two wheels. I'm just not steady enough when I'm getting <laughs> on and off it at the <laughs> gas station. Mm, yeah. And, so... All right. so anyways, yeah, I I don't know if I'll have the guts to bring that up, because I'm already the childish, irresponsible one of the, uh, of the two of hey, us. Hey, so. I'm that one, too. <laughs>
2: All right. Okay. And I will say my, my parting thing is, Aprilia, please, please make that 660 not a concept, but a production-ready motorcycle in the next six to nine what? months. I can't afford it but please a very cool six, just something so cool like that. I,
0: I just realized that this was this supposed to be too. the Intermonton ECMA, ECMA. Uh, yeah. new model discussion. And we are an hour into it and didn't even bring it up. So we'll and, save that and, for and next look, time.
2: I, I have a whole page of notes. We? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: we'll
0: okay. have a lot to talk about next time. We'll, yeah. we'll have to do that next time. I'm thinking for my bike project, I may actually do kind of a relaunch video, like kind of recap the last seven years, because nobody would ever read through the 40-some pages of build thread on it so far. So I think I may just do a little video to discuss where we are, and maybe I'll have that done next month. There you go. Well, that wraps it up for Episode 83. Go visit Hooniverse.com, and we'll get back with you in a month. See you gentlemen. So long. Take it easy.